Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planadin, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development so we can be strong role models for those we love and mentor and stay strong in our own mental well-being, body, soul, and spirit. Today, we are on chapter 68 in my Queen's University Psych 100 class, and it's a journey, and we're coming so close to the end. So let's get going on self and identity. This is open access courseware. So wherever you are in the world, if you have internet, you can access this online as well. But otherwise, you can watch it on YouTube or read along in your own time. We're human beings. The self is what happens when I encounters me. The central psychological question of selfhood then is, how does a person apprehend and understand who he or she is? Over the past hundred years, psychologists have approached the study of self and the related concept of identity in many different ways, but three central metaphors for the self repeatedly emerge. First, the self may be seen as a social actor who enacts roles and displays traits by performing behaviors in the presence of others. Second, the self is a motivated agent who acts upon inner desires and formulates goals, values, and plans to guide behavior in the future. Third, the self eventually becomes an autobiographical author, too, who takes stock of life, past, present, and future, to create a story about who I am, how I came to be, and where my life may be going. This module briefly reviews central ideas and research findings on the self as an actor, an agent, and an author, with an emphasis on how these features of selfhood develop over the human life course. The learning objectives, if you're taking the class to keep in the back of your mind, is to explain the basic idea of reflexivity in human selfhood, how the I encounters and makes sense of itself, the me. Describe fundamental distinctions between three different perspectives on the self, self as actor, agent, and author. Describe how a sense of self as a social actor emerges around the age of two and how it develops going forward. Describe the development of the self's sense of motivated agency from the emergence of the child's theory of mind to the articulation of life goals and values in adolescence and beyond. Define the term narrative identity and explain what psychological and cultural functions narrative identity serves. As mentioned, I am a student, not a teacher. I'm simply sharing my journey as I do my research for my book. Here we go. Introduction. In the temple of Apollo at Delphi, the ancient Greeks inscribed the words, know thyself. For at least 2,500 years and probably longer, human beings have pondered the meaning of the ancient aphorism. Over the past century, psychological scientists have joined the effort. They have formulated many theories and tested countless hypotheses that speak to the general question of human selfhood. How does a person know who he or she is? The ancient Greeks seem to realize that the self is inherently reflexive. It reflects back on itself. In the disarmingly simple idea made famous by the great psychologist William James, self is what happens when I reflects back upon me. The self is both the I and the me. It is the knower, and it is what the knower knows when the knower reflects upon itself. 
When you look back at yourself, what do you see? When you look inside, what do you find? Moreover, when you try to change yourself in some way, what is it that you are trying to change? The philosopher Charles Taylor describes the self as a reflexive project. In modern life, Taylor argues we often try to manage, discipline, refine, improve, or develop the self. We work on ourselves as we might work on any other interesting project. But what exactly is it that we work on? Imagine for a moment that you have decided to improve yourself. You might say, go on a diet to improve your appearance. Or you might decide to be nicer to your mother in order to improve that important social role. Or maybe the problems at work. You need to find a better job or go back to school to prepare for a different career. Perhaps you just need to work harder or get organized or recommit yourself to religion. Or maybe the key is to begin thinking about your whole life story in a completely different way. In a way that you hope will bring you more happiness, fulfillment, peace, or excitement. Although there are many different ways you might reflect upon and try to improve the self, it turns out that many, if not most, of them fall roughly into three broad psychological categories. The I may encounter the me as A, a social actor, B, a motivated agent, or C, an autobiographical author. The social actor. Shakespeare tapped into a deep truth about human nature when he famously wrote, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. He was wrong about them merely, however, for there is nothing more important for human adaptation than the matter in which we perform our roles as actors in the everyday theater of social life. What Shakespeare may have sensed but could not have fully understood is that human beings evolved to live in social groups. Beginning with Darwin and running through contemporary conceptions of human evolution, scientists have portrayed human nature as profoundly social. For a few million years, Homo sapiens and their evolutionary forerunners have survived and flourished by virtue of their ability to live and work together in complex social groups, cooperating with each other to solve problems and overcome threats and competing with each other in the face of limited resources. As social animals, human beings strive to get along and get ahead in the presence of each other. Evolution has prepared us to care deeply about social acceptance and social status. For those unfortunate individuals who do not get along well in social groups or who fail to attain a requisite status among their peers have typically been severely compromised when it comes to survival and reproduction. It makes consummate evolutionary sense, therefore, that the human eye should apprehend the me first and foremost as a social actor. For human beings, the sense of self as a social actor begins to emerge around the age of 18 months. Numerous studies have shown that by the time they reach their second birthday, most toddlers recognize themselves in mirrors and other reflecting devices. What they see is an embodied actor who moves through space and time. Many children begin to use words such as me and mine in the second year of life, suggesting that the I now has linguistic labels that can be applied reflexively to itself. I call myself me. Around the same time, children also begin to express social emotions such as embarrassment, shame, guilt, and pride. 
These emotions tell the social actor how well he or she is performing in the group. When I do things that win the approval of others, I feel proud of myself. When I fail in the presence of others, I may feel embarrassment or shame. When I violate a social rule, I may experience guilt, which may motivate me to make amends. Many of the classic psychological theories of human selfhood point to the second year of life as a key developmental period. For example, Freud and his followers in the psychoanalytic tradition trace the emergence of an autonomous ego back to the second year. Freud used the term ego in German das Ich, which also translates into the I, to refer to an executive self in the personality. Erickson in 1963 argued that experiences of trust and interpersonal attachment in the first year of life help to consolidate the autonomy of the ego in the second. Coming from a more sociological perspective, Mead in 1934 suggested that the I comes to know the me through reflection, which may be quite literally with mirrors, but later involves the reflective appraisal of others. I come to know who I am as a social actor, Mead argued, by noting how other people in my social world react to my performances. In the development of the self as a social actor, other people function like mirrors. They reflect who I am back to me. Research has shown that when young children begin to make attributions about themselves, they start simple. At age four, Jessica knows that she has dark hair, knows that she lives in a white house, and describes herself to others in terms of simple behavioral traits. She may say she's nice or helpful or that she's a good girl most of the time. By the time she hits fifth grade, around age 10, Jessica sees herself in more complex ways, attributing traits to the self, such as honest, moody, outgoing, shy, hardworking, smart, good at math, but not gym class, or nice, except when I'm around my annoying brother. By late childhood and early adolescence, the personality traits that people attribute to themselves, as well as those attributed to them by others, tend to correlate with each other in ways that conform to a well-established taxonomy of five broad trait domains, repeatedly derived in studies of adult personality and often called the big five. One, extroversion. Two, neuroticism. Three, agreeableness. Four, conscientiousness. And five, openness to experience. By light childhood, moreover, self-conceptions will likely also include important social roles. I'm a good student. I'm the oldest daughter, or I am a good friend to Sarah. Traits and roles and variations on these notions are the main currency of the self as a social actor. Trait terms capture perceived consistencies in social performance. They convey what I reflexively perceive to be my overall acting style based on part of how I think others see me as an actor in many different social situations. Roles capture the quality, as I perceive it, of more important structured relationships in my life. Taken together, traits and roles make up the main features of my social reputation as I apprehend it in my own mind. If you have ever tried hard to change yourself, you may have taken aim at your social reputation, targeting your central traits or your social roles. Maybe you woke up one day and decided that you must become a more optimistic and emotionally upbeat person. Taking into consideration the reflective appraisal of others, you realize that even your friends seem to avoid you because you bring them down. In addition, it feels bad to feel so bad all the time. 
wouldn't it be better to feel good, to have more energy and hope? In the language of traits, you have decided to work on your neuroticism, or maybe instead your problem is the trait of conscientiousness. You're undisciplined and don't work hard enough, so you resolve to make changes in the area, in that area. Self-improvement efforts such as these, aimed at changing one traits to become a more effective social actor, are sometimes successful, but they are very hard, kind of like dieting. Research suggests that broad traits tend to be stubborn, resistant to change, even with the aid of psychotherapy. However, people often have more success working directly on their social roles. To become a more effective social actor, you may want to take aim at the important roles you play in life. What can I do to become a better son or daughter? How can I find a new and meaningful role to perform at work or in my family or among my friends or in my church and community? By doing concrete things that enrich your performances in important social roles, you may begin to see yourself in a new light, and others will notice the change too. Social actors hold the potential to transform their performances across the human life course. Each time you walk out on stage, you have a chance to start anew. The Motivated Agent Whether we are talking literally about the theatrical stage or more figuratively, as I do in this module about the everyday social environment for human behavior, observers can never fully know what is in the actor's head, no matter how closely they watch. We can see actors act, but we cannot know for sure what they want or what they value unless they tell us straight away. As a social actor, a person may come across as friendly and compassionate or cynical and mean-spirited, but in neither case can we infer their motivations from their traits or their roles. What does the friendly person want? What is the cynical father trying to achieve? Many broad psychological theories of the self prioritize the motivational qualities of human behavior, the inner needs, wants, desires, goals, values, plans, programs, fears, and aversions that seem to give behavior its direction and purpose. These kinds of theories explicitly conceive of the self as a motivated agent. To be an agent is to act with direction and purpose, to move forward into the future in pursuit of self-chosen and valued goals. In a sense, human beings are agents even as infants, for babies can surely act in goal-directed ways. By age one year, moreover, infants show a strong preference for observing and imitating the goal-directed intentional behavior of others rather than random behaviors. Still, it is one thing to act in goal-directed ways. It is quite another for the I to know itself, the me, as an intentional and purposeful force who moves forward in life in pursuit of self-chosen goals, values, and other desired end states. In order to do so, the person must first realize that people indeed have desires and goals in their minds, and that these inner desires and goals motivate, initiate, energize, put into motion their behavior. According to a strong line of research in developmental psychology, attaining this kind of understanding means acquiring a theory of mind, which occurs for most children by the age of four. Once a child understands that other people's behaviors is often motivated by inner desires and goals, it is a small step to apprehend the self in similar terms. 
Building on theory of mind and other cognitive and social developments, children begin to construct the self as a motivated agent in the elementary school years. Layered over, they're still developing sense of themselves as social actors. Theory and research on what developmental psychologists call the age five to seven shift converged to suggest that children become more planful, intentional, and systematic in their pursuit of value goals during this time. Schooling reinforces the shift in that teachers and curricula place increasing demands on students to work hard, adhere to schedules, focus on goals, and achieve success in particular, well-defined task domains. Their relative success in achieving their most cherished goals, furthermore, goes a long way in determining children's self-esteem. Motivated agents feel good about themselves to the extent they believe that they are making good progress in achieving their goals and advancing their most important values. Goals and values become even more important for the self in adolescence as teenagers begin to confront what Erickson famously termed the developmental challenge of identity. For adolescents and young adults, establishing a psychologically efficacious identity involves exploring different options with respect to life goals, values, vocations, and intimate relationships, and eventually committing to a motivational and ideological agenda for adult life. An integrated and realistic sense of what I want and value in life and how I plan to achieve it. Committing oneself to an integrated suite of life goals and values is perhaps the greatest achievement for the self as motivated agent. Establishing an adult identity has implications as well for how a person moves through life as a social actor, entailing new role commitments and perhaps a changing understanding of one's basic dispositional traits. According to Erickson, however, identity achievement is always provisional for adults continue to work on their identities as they move into midlife and beyond, often relinquishing old goals in favor of new ones investing themselves in new projects and making new plans, exploring new relationships, and shifting their priorities in response to changing life circumstances. There is a sense whereby any time you try to change yourself, you are assuming the role of a motivated agent. After all, to strive to change something is inherently what an agent does. However, what particular feature of selfhood you try to change may correspond to your self as actor, agent, or author, or some combination. When you try to change your traits or roles, you take aim at the social actor. By contrast, when you try to change your values or life goals, you are focusing on yourself as a motivated agent. Adolescence and young adulthood are periods in the human life course where many of us focus attention on our values and life goals. Perhaps you grew up as a traditional Catholic, but now in college you believe the values inculcated in your childhood no longer function so well for you. You no longer believe in the central tenets of the Catholic Church, say, and now working to replace your old values with new ones. Or maybe you still want to be Catholic, but you feel that your new take on faith requires a different kind of personal ideology. In the realm of the motivated agent, moreover, changing values can influence life goals. If your new value system prioritizes alleviating and suffering of others, you may decide to pursue a degree in social work or to become a public interest lawyer or to live in a simpler life that prioritizes people over material wealth. A great deal of the identity work we do in adolescence and young adulthood is about values and goals as we strive to articulate a personal vision or dream 
for what we hope to accomplish in the future. The autobiographical author, even as the eye continues to develop a sense of the me, as both a social actor and a motivated agent, a third standpoint for selfhood gradually emerges in the adolescence and early adult years. The third perspective is a response to Erickson's challenge of identity. According to Erickson, developing an identity involves more than exploration of and commitment to life goals and values, the self as motivated agent, and more than committing to new roles and reevaluating old traits, self as a social actor. It also involves achieving a sense of temporal continuity in life, a reflective understanding of how have I come to be the person I am becoming, or put it differently, how my past self has developed into my present self and how my present self will in turn develop into an envisioned future self. In his analysis of identity formation in the life of the 15th century Protestant reformer Martin Luther, Erickson in 1958 describes the culmination of a young adult's search for identity in this way. To be adult means, among other things, to see one's own life in continuous perspective, both in retrospect and prospect. By accepting some definition of who he is, usually on the basis of a function in an economy, a place in the sequence of generations, and a status in the structure of society, the adult is able to selectively reconstruct his past in such a way that step for step, it seems to have planned him, or better, he seems to have planned it. In this sense, psychologically, we do choose our parents, our family history, and the history of our kings, heroes, and gods. By making them our own, we maneuver ourselves into the inner position of proprietors or creators. In this rich passage, Eric intimates that the development of a mature identity in young adulthood involves the eye's ability to construct a retrospective and perspective story about the me. In their efforts to find a meaningful identity for life, young men and women begin to selectively reconstruct their past, as Eric wrote, and imagine their future to create an intricative life story, or what psychologists today often call a narrative identity. A narrative identity is an internalized and evolving story of the self that reconstructs the past and anticipates the future in such a way as to provide a person's life with some degree of unity, meaning, and purpose over time. The self typically becomes an autobiographical author in the early adult years, a way of being that is layered over the motivated agent, which is layered over the social actor. In order to provide life with the sense of temporal continuity and deep meaning that Erickson believed identity should confer, we must author a personalized life story that integrates our understanding of who we once were, who we are today, and who we may become in the future. The story helps to explain for the author and for the author's world why the social actor does what it does. <laughs> why the motivated agent wants what it wants, and how the person as a whole has developed over time, from the past reconstructed beginning to the future's imagined ending. By the time they are five or six years of age, children can tell well-formed stories about personal events in their lives. By the end of childhood, they usually have a good sense of what 
a typical biography contains and how it is sequenced from birth to death. But it is not until adolescence, research shows, that human beings express advanced storytelling skills in what psychologists called autobiographical reasoning. In autobiographical reasoning, a narrator is able to derive substantive conclusions about the self from analyzing his or her own personal experiences. Adolescents may develop the ability to string together events into casual chains and inductively derive general themes about life from a sequence of chapters and scenes. For example, a 16-year-old may be able to explain to herself and to others how childhood experiences in her family have shaped her vocation in life. Her parents were divorced when she was five years old, the teenager recalls, and this caused a great deal of stress in her family. Her mother often seemed anxious and depressed, but she, the now teenager, when she was a little girl, the story's protagonist, often tried to cheer her mother up and her efforts seemed to work. In more recent years, the teenager notes that her friends often come to her with their boyfriend problems. She seems to be very adept at giving advice about love and relationship, which stems, the teenager now believes, from her early experiences with her mother. Carrying this casual narrative forward, the teenager now thinks that she would like to be a marriage counselor when she grows up. Unlike children, then, adolescents can tell a full and convincing story about an entire human life or at least a prominent line of causation within a full life, explaining continuity and change in the story's protagonist over time. Once the cognitive skills are in place, young people seek interpersonal opportunities to share and refine their developing sense of themselves as storytellers, the I, who tell stories about themselves, the me. Adolescents and young adults author a narrative sense of the self by telling stories about their experiences to other people, monitoring the feedback they receive from the tellings, editing their stories in light of the feedback, gaining new experiences and tying stories about those and on and on as selves create stories that in turn create new selves. Gradually, in fits and starts, through conversation and introspection, the I develops a convincing and coherent narrative about the me. Contemporary research on the self as autobiographical author emphasizes the strong effect of culture on narrative identity. Culture provides a menu of favored plot lines, themes, and character types for the construction of self-defining life stories. Autobiographical authors sample selectively from the cultural menu, appropriating ideas that seem to resonate well with their own life experiences. As such, life stories reflect the culture wherein they are situated as much as they reflect the authorial efforts of the autobiographical I. As one example of the tight link between culture and narrative identity, McAdams and others have highlighted the prominence of redemptive narratives in American culture. Epitomized in such iconic cultural ideals as the American Dream, Horatio Alger stories, and narratives of Christian atonement, Redemptive stories track the move from suffering to an enhanced status or states while scripting the development of a chosen protagonist who journeys forth into a dangerous and unredeemed world. Hollywood movies often celebrate redemptive quests. Americans are exposed to a similar narrative message in self-help books, 12-step programs, Sunday sermons, and the rhetoric of political campaigns. Over the past two decades, the world's most influential spokesperson for power of redemption in human lives may be Oprah Winfrey, 
who tells her own story of overcoming childhood adversity while encouraging others through her media outlets and philanthropy to tell similar kinds of stories for their own lives. Research has demonstrated that American adults who enjoy high levels of mental health and civic engagement tend to construct their lives as narratives of redemption, tracking the move from sin to salvation, rags to riches, oppression to liberation, or sickness to health. In American society, these kinds of stories are often seen to be inspirational. At the same time, McAdams has pointed to shortcomings and limitations in the gender stories that many Americans tell, which mirror cultural biases and stereotypes in American culture and heritage. McAdams has argued that redemptive stories support happiness and societal engagement for some Americans, but the same stories can encourage moral righteousness and a naive expectation that suffering will always be redeemed. For better and sometimes for worse, Americans seem to love stories of personal redemption and often aim to assimilate their iobotographical memories and aspirations to a redemptive form. Nonetheless, these same stories may not work so well in cultures that espouse different values and narrative ideals. It is important to remember that every culture offers its own storehouse of favorite narrative forms. It is also essential to know that no single narrative form captures all that is good or bad about a culture. In American society, the redemptive narrative is but one of many different kinds of stories that people commonly employ to make sense of their lives. What is your story? What kind of narrative are you working on? As you look to the past and imagine the future, what threads of continuity, change, and meaning do you discern? For many people, the most dramatic and fulfilling efforts to change the self happen when the I works hard as an iobiographical author to construct and ultimately to tell a new story about the me. Storytelling may be the most powerful form of self-transformation that human beings have ever invented. Changing one's life story is at the heart of many forms of psychotherapy and counseling, as well as religious conversions, vocational epiphanies, and other dramatic transformations of the self that people often celebrate as turning points in their lives. Storytelling is often at the heart of the little changes, too minor edits in the self that we make as we move through daily life, as we live and experience life, and as we later tell it to ourselves and to others. In conclusion, for human beings, selves begin as social actors, but they eventually become motivated agents and autobiographical authors too. The I first sees itself as an embodied actor in social space, with development, However, it comes to appreciate itself also as a forward-looking source of self-determined goals and values, and later yet as a storyteller of personal experience, oriented to the reconstructed past and the imagined future. To know thyself in mature adulthood, then, is to do three things. To apprehend and to perform with social approval my self-ascribed traits and roles. To pursue with vigor and ideally success my most valued goals and plans. And see to construct a story about life that conveys with a vividness and cultural resonance how I became the person I am becoming. Integrating my past as I remember it, my present as I experience it, and my future as I hope it to be. Well, I really enjoyed that 
storytelling about our different stages in life and how we can change and transform over time. And I didn't mention it in this particular chapter, but go back and listen to the chapter on epigenetics because your genetics do not determine your future self. You do. And once you understand this, you too will live a more inspired life.